0: Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 28. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ. He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised for if the dead are not raised not even Christ has been raised and If Christ has not been raised Your faith is futile and you are still in your sins Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished if in Christ we have if in Christ We have hope in this life only we are of all people most to be pitied But in fact Christ has been raised from the dead the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expected, accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. This is God's word.
1: Father, we're grateful for your word. We thank you that uh, it's true and that it is a gift of your love to us. And uh, we want to be people who don't just hear it, but who really receive it and take it in um, like a seed falling on fertile soil. And Holy Spirit, that's your good work. And so we we seek your help and we, we pray that you would... Um, yeah, help us to see Jesus, for it's in his name that we pray, amen. The theologian and author Lewis Smeads, he says that authentic hope has three main ingredients. When, when we have hope, we have, we have all three of these going on in our hearts and minds. We have desire, we have imagination, and we have faith. Uh, so so when when we have hope for something, we, we wish for it to be true, we want it, we desire it, and then we can imagine and envision it being true, uh, but then also we believe it's actually possible for what we wish for and imagine to become reality. Desire, imagination, and faith. Smead says, if you remove any one of those key ingredients, you don't have hope. So for example, uh, let's say that I really want to win the lottery. This is hypothetical. (laughs) Um, I wish for it. I desire to win it. Uh, I can imagine, and and then I can also imagine winning the lottery. And so I I can imagine buying the winning ticket and I can imagine the moment when I've, when I learn that it's the winning ticket and I can imagine celebrating with all my friends and family, I can imagine celebrating with you all. And then I can imagine uh, burning through all of that wealth in a matter of months. The, the, the new cars, the new homes, all the taxes. And so I wish for it, and I imagine it. So far, so good. But the third ingredient for authentic hope is belief. In order to have hope about winning the lottery, I have to believe that I can win it. And you see, that's the problem, because I don't believe that I can win the lottery, and neither should you. Uh, I mean, sure, like it's a technical possibility, but the odds of winning are so infinitesimal that there's just really no good reason to believe that either you or I will ever win it. And without without belief, without faith, hope for winning the lottery falls apart. Now, that's a silly example. Here's a serious one that's been on all of our minds. Is there hope for peace between Palestinians and Israelis? On Monday, the New York Times published a panel discussion in which the participants, and it was three Palestinians, three Israelis, and one American, they all interacted around the question, was peace between Palestinians and Israelis ever possible? And it's a fascinating conversation that also serves to give a good overview of the problem and some of just the really challenging parts of the history. But you see, that that question itself Uh, Was was peace ever possible? That, That question is really troubling and calls hope into question. I mean, if peace was never possible, then whatever hopes there were for it in the first place were misplaced. In the article, the last word is given to an emeritus professor at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem who says this. He says, there's a sense that if you think that you have a solution, it means that you don't understand the problem and you are naive. But then he says, there is the biblical question, shall the sword devour forever? And I think the answer should be no. Those are his words. Um, I think the answer should be no too. Um, But it's hard to know how to have hope for peace in this situation, especially if Lewis Smead's is right. And having hope involves what? It involves desiring peace. Seems like, well, some do, some don't. Uh, It involves being able to imagine peace. And that's even more challenging, isn't it? I mean, what would it look like and how would it last. And then last, it, it involves believing that the peace we desire and imagine is really possible. It's really possible. That's a lot to ask for. If, if all those key ingredients have to come together, maybe talk of hope for this situation is naive. And yet, family, uh, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Like, maybe that changes the hope landscape. Uh, each Sunday, and if you're just visiting today or if you haven't been with us for the past couple of weeks, we're doing uh, this deep dive into Christian hope. But we're looking, and the way we're getting at this is by looking at uh, the story of Jesus, because it's his story that makes the Christian story a story of hope. The, the amazing claim of the gospel is that in the story of Jesus, God has made our story his own. And so we're looking at the story of Jesus, but remember, we're doing it backwards. And so two weeks ago, we looked at his return, and then last week, we looked at his ascension. And today, uh, as you heard Paige read, and we sang about this a little bit, we're looking at his resurrection. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. There's a place in First Peter where we read that through the resurrection of Jesus, we've been born again into a living hope. It's like the, re- I mean, the resurrection uh, brings real, living, authentic Hope. How does it do that? Well, hope is about desire, it's about imagination, and it's about faith. And so let's look at how the resurrection, um, it directs our desire, it empowers our imagination, and it bolsters our belief. You know, I was, just, I was so inspired by the last few deep dive speakers to try to do something alliterative. And so here we go. It, it directs our desire, it empowers our imagination, and it bolsters our belief. So first, the resurrection directs our desires. Um, it teaches us first to desire the resurrection of the body. To desire the resurrection of the body. Uh, later in chapter 15, you might want to have your Bibles open and just be able to look at all of chapter 15 because it's it's an amazing chapter. We only read a bit of it. But later, Paul imagines someone asking, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And, and you might expect... Uh, For Paul to say something like well that's dumb because the dead won't have bodies when when they go to new life salvation is about like our souls escaping the body and going to heaven when we die and that's a pretty common view Um, when I became a Christian I was 10 years old and I was taught that the really important thing about Jesus work on the cross was that now if I put my faith in him when when I died my soul could go off to be with him in heaven which is a nice thought Uh, but it comes so much more from ancient Greek philosophy than it does from the Bible story. Greek philosophy made really sharp distinctions between the physical and the spiritual and often viewed the physical as inferior and evil, and so salvation was then framed in terms of the soul escaping from the prison of the body. The ancient Greeks hoped for the immortality of the soul. Uh, They hoped for spiritual survival after bodily death, And, and for centuries variations of that view just kind of crept into Christian thinking about life after death. And so so the story started to become like Jesus has not come to rescue the world, but to actually save uh, human souls out of the lost world. It's not a Christian idea. Um, Whenever we say the creed together, what do we say? We say we believe in the resurrection of the body. I don't say we believe in the escape of the soul to some immaterial realm we say we believe in the resurrection of the body and so um, so here's one way that the resurrection of Jesus Christ directs our own desires it directs us um, it directs our desires toward a much more holistic much more integrated view of salvation not just for your soul but for your whole self your body included all of you but not just for your soul and body. This is the second way that resurrection directs our desires. It also directs our desires um, to be less individualistic and more oriented towards salvation for the whole community and, in fact, for the whole world. Uh, in our passage, Paul says, Just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. See, we, won't, we will not be rector- resurrected as isolated individuals. Uh, resurrection is a community event. And remember what we looked at a couple of weeks ago, what we see at Jesus' return. We see a God who loves his creation, uh, who doesn't reject it, uh, who rescues it, and who recreates it. And so the resurrection directs our desire not for, like, scattered bits of new life here and there, but for the whole world to be caught up and healed in Christ. So let Jesus' resurrection um, direct your desires uh, Toward the new life, not just for yourself, but for others, for communities, for the world, and, and then here's here's another way Jesus' resurrection might direct our desire um, to be ultimately for God Himself. In our passage, uh, if you look at verses 20 and through 28, you'll see how he moves like pretty quickly from Jesus' resurrection in verse 20 to God being all in all in verse 28. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but it's worth remembering that what makes the Christian story really good, what makes it ultimately a comedy and not a tragedy, is that it ends with God. This is a story that ends with God. It ends with God being all in all. Not some of God in some of the world, not some of God in all of the world, not all of God in some of the world, but just it ends with all of God in all of the world. God being all in all. this has always been the christian hope the, the old theologian and philosopher boethius do we have, we need to name kids boethius bring it back <laughs> bring boethius back um, he says he says to see the to see thee is the end and the beginning he's, he's talking to god to see thee is the end and the beginning thou carries us and thou dost go before thou art the journey and the journey's end see it's a hope for none other than god himself St. Augustine says, God will be the goal of all our longings, and we shall see him forever. We shall love him and praise him without wearying. Uh, Maybe Job said it best. What does he say? You remember? I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. See, it's this this longing to to behold the lover of our souls. Uh, Beneath and behind all our other desires, family, like this is what we really want, God himself. And the the resurrection, um, it directs um, our desires to like, it directs us to get in touch with that deep desire beneath all the other ones, not just for new bodies, not even just for a new heavens and earth, but for God himself being all in all. Family, let the resurrection of Jesus awaken your wishing. My my guess is that that your and my desire is far too weak. Remember that's what Lewis says. He says, God doesn't find our desires like um like over the top. He finds them too too wimpy, too weak sauce. We need to strengthen our desires for for like God Himself. Let the resurrection direct your desires. Hope is about that. Hope is also about imagination. And Jesus' resurrection empowers our imaginations. It helps us to lift our eyes beyond the current horizon and to envision new possibilities and then to work toward those possibilities right here, right now in the present. Later in, in 1 Corinthians 15, we see Paul using his imagination, sanctified, yes, guided by the Spirit, yes, but still imagination, as he tries to communicate What our new resurrection bodies will be like and so he talks about like seeds and wheat and and different kinds of grain Uh, like if we ask the question what will our resurrection bodies be like i mean we have to imagine right like we we have to we have to engage the creative parts of our mind um I, i just ran out and can any of you see this yeah it's so small this this is the tiniest acorn i could find from the field out there. Um, And uh, you know what happens to an acorn if it goes into the ground and if the conditions are right, the soil is good. Like, it will actually, like, sprout and take root. There's, like, a little seed in here, apparently, so they say. There's a seed in here, and it, like, sends out root. What do they call them? Roots. And they go into the earth, and then it starts to grow, and it becomes, like, you can go outside after church and look. Just, am I pointing the wrong way? It's that way. It's that way. Uh, these extraordinary, magnificent oak trees. Um, We have four of them lining the field in in the back there. Now, what if you had never seen an oak tree, and all you had seen was this? Uh, Would you ever guess that a mighty oak tree could come from something so small, so frail, so fragile? Something, I mean, it looks like this is just on the verge of death. You know, it looks like there's no hope for this little thing at all. Like you would see it and you'd just step on it and crush it or you'd walk right by. Um, But if you've seen an oak tree and if you know that uh, an oak tree comes from an acorn, then when you see a little acorn like this, your imagination for the acorn is empowered. Like you can actually, um, you can have hopes for this acorn that you wouldn't have otherwise had. Um, I tried planting an acorn in my, uh, in a pot, and I put it on our back porch, and um, a tree did start to grow, and it grew, and it grew, and then a squirrel came and uprooted it and ate it, but it was, it was on its way to glory. Um, Paul says, the squirrel aside, just the, the, like, get the squirrel out of the picture, just the acorn in the oak tree. Paul says, the resurrection is something like that. It, it, like, it's still going to be you, but it's going to be this glorious, transformed, magnificent you. Uh, It's still going to be this world, but it's going to be this world renewed. Um, God will give new life to his people and to a world for whom, like, all hope looks lost. One of the most vivid images of hope uh, in the Old Testament comes from the prophet Ezekiel. Do you remember it? Uh, The Lord brings Ezekiel, the prophet, to a valley that is full of what? dry bones and you know if they're dry bones that means they've been there for a long time they're just dead as dead can be dry bones and the lord asks can these bones live that's an interesting question to ask about a valley of dry bones because the obvious answer is no they cannot no they cannot but the lord but even the question itself it kind of engages your imagination it says well i wouldn't have thought they could live but if god's the one asking the question Maybe I should pay attention. He's asking about hope. Like, do you want them to live? Can you imagine these these dry bones living? Do you believe that they can? Really, maybe the Lord is asking, Do you trust me with these dry bones? Do you trust me with them. And Ezekiel does trust. And he says to, to the Lord, Lord, you know whether or not the bones can live. And you remember the story, the Lord tells Ezekiel to prophesy and to speak God's word over the bones. Uh, which is so weird because you would think that, like, bones can't hear. Uh, So it doesn't matter what you speak over them. They can't hear very well. But the dry bones, they hear the word of the Lord. And then here's what we read. Ezekiel says, As I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, uh, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived. Like the Spirit came into them, and they lived. Think about that image from Ezekiel. Like, what would, what would that image have done for the ancient people of God who had just given up on, had lost all hope, who felt themselves like a valley of dry bones? I mean, see, it's stirring up their imagination. It's teaching them to hope. For the possibility of restoration and new life when no hope seems possible. Family. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He's risen from the dead. Um, Life from death is, I mean, that is at the extreme edge of our imagination. Um, But if God can do it, if God has in fact done it, then doesn't that just blow the doors off our small, feeble hoping about what's possible? I wonder, family, where are the dry bones in your life? What are, the, what are the places of your life where you look at it and you say, there's just no way. There's just no way. This is as dead as dead gets. Can they live? Can those dry bones live? Like, what would it, what would it feel like? What would it look like? Maybe there's a bad habit you want to break. Ah, Live with this for so long, there's no hope. This will never change. Maybe there's a broken relationship that you really want to be repaired, but you just cannot imagine what it would look like. Maybe, maybe you want to forgive someone, um, but it is proving so difficult. Where's the valley of dry bones? Where's that place where you, you just long for, for flourishing and fullness and health and wholeness, but instead you just see decay, despair? See, maybe the wind is blowing. Maybe the bones are starting to rattle. I mean, can you imagine? Can you even imagine the dry bones beginning to rattle? Hope is about desire also about imagination I want you to just like either today or tomorrow sometime this week sit down with this question where are the dry bones and then um, invite the spirit to sanctify your imagination about what would it look like for those bones to begin to rattle what would it look like for the little acorn to take root and start to grow hope is about desire it's about imagination it's also about belief, it's about faith, it's about trust. If all you have is desire and imagination, you probably don't have hope. For hope, you need that third ingredient. You need to actually believe that what you desire and what you imagine, and what you imagine is possible, that, that, it, that it can become reality. I wonder if you believe in the resurrection. Like, do you trust that God has actually raised Jesus from the dead? Can I just be honest? Like sometimes as a pastor, I'm like, this is insane. <laughs> this is a crazy belief. I'm tem- I'll be tempted to look, to, you know, to look at my friends who are into like woo-woo astrology or something, think, oh, what a crazy belief. And then I remember, oh yeah, I believe that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Well, that's that's out there. Um do you trust it? Can you believe it? It's worth remembering that belief in the resurrection was. I mean, it's always been weird. (laughs) Uh, It was just as weird for people back in Jesus' day as it is for us. Like No one was expecting Jesus to be raised from the dead. Jesus' disciples weren't expecting him to be raised from the dead, even after he told them over and over again, I'm going to be raised from the dead. And what did they do? They went to the tomb on the first Easter Sunday, expecting to find a corpse. See, the ancient worldviews of Jesus' day, they couldn't make sense of the resurrection any more than our our worldviews can. It, it, Jesus' resurrection was just as category-busting back then as it is today. First century folks knew, just as well as we do, that dead people stay dead. It's just the way it works. But you're here today because on that first Easter Sunday, the tomb was empty, and then people began to encounter like, a living, breathing, resurrected Jesus. Um. Later in, in a, or actually earlier in, in the passage that we read, Paul tells us that on one occasion, Jesus appeared to over 500 people at one time. And and Paul notes that most of those eyewitnesses at the time of, of his writing were still alive. And it's like he adds that in just in case anyone wants to go check it out for themselves, do their own investigating. In our passage, Paul refers to um the resurrected Jesus as the first fruits of those who have died. And do you remember what that term is about? Like it's this farming term. It's it's the first the first fruits are the first part of the harvest. And if if you look at the first fruits and they're really crummy, they're bad, they're no good, you can expect, oh, it's gonna be a bad, it's gonna be a bad harvest this year. If you look at the first fruits and they're good, you just think, ah, oh, we're in for a treat. It's gonna be a good year. Um The first fruits to show you what you can expect, a good crop or a bad crop. And so the point of of Paul using this metaphor is that it's like the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And and it's weird because it's like it's the only thing we have to go off of is this the the testimonies of people bearing witness to their experience of the resurrected Jesus. But that is a preview of your resurrection and mine and, in fact, of the whole world. Um, Family it looks like it's going to be a pretty good harvest. Um, Will you trust it? Will you trust it? As surely as Jesus has risen from the dead, so you will be raised. Now, if you desire it and can imagine it, and if you believe it, if you trust it, well, another way of saying that is that you hope for it. You hope for it. And remember, that hope isn't just for the future. What we hope for is meant to, Determine what we live for here now, and so at the end of chapter 15, after Paul has plumbed the depths of the resurrection, pretty much I figure as far as anyone can plumb the depths this side of Jesus' return, uh, he writes this Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, and and therefore, meaning because of all of this truth about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, therefore. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And so you see what he does there. He connects um, resurrection hope with purposeful living right here, right now, in the present. Think about this. If you embrace uh, a secular view that sees your future only as death and decay, uh then life in an ultimate sense is inconsequential. And, and we spent, like, <laughs> way too long <laughs> plumbing the depths of that. I mean, but that is what Kohelet showed us week after week, uh, that, um, that we're left with, what, a whole lot of hebel, vanity of vanities. Eventually you'll die, and eventually everyone who has ever known anything about you will die. And then given enough time, the entire human race will die, and then... A little more time maybe and the whole earth will be burned up by the sun and it will be as if none of this ever happened which is rather grim uh without the hope of the resurrection this life might have temporary significance because we're meaning making creatures and we're good at coming up with ways to feel significant but can you see it like just on an intellectual level if nothing else that it is ultimately meaningless without the resurrection it's ultimately futile because it's just End, it ends, and no one will remember it. And Paul was really clear-minded about this. In verse 32 of, of uh, chapter 15, he says, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Uh, if there's no resurrection from the dead, this is it. But no family, Jesus Christ, is risen from the dead. Um, the one who created the world plans to rescue it. In fact, his rescue mission is, al- is already underway. And so we can stand firm as surely as we believe in the resurrection, we can abound in the work of the Lord, trusting that our labor is not in vain. Now, remember, what if we ask the question, what's the labor of the Lord? What's the work of the Lord? I mean, it's tempting to list off a bunch of really spiritual sounding things like preaching and evangelizing and worshiping and praying and reading the Bible and, and reading the Bible some more and then memorizing the Bible and doing all kinds of uh, you know, more praying and more worshiping and more evangelizing. And of course, yes, like that is all the work of the Lord. But it's not all, not even close. I mean, what does God care about? Remember, was it last week we looked at the beginning of, of Acts where Luke makes the point that um, that the gospel of Luke is just the beginning of all that Jesus began to do and to say, and that Jesus is still on the move like he's still speaking and he's still working and he still cares about all kinds of stuff like what is the work of the Lord I love what N.T. Wright says he says every act of love gratitude and kindness every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation every minute spent teaching a child to read or to walk every act of care and nurture Of comfort and support for one's fellow human beings and for that matter one's fellow non-human creatures um, because Jesus loves trees and he loves birds as he says consider the birds of the air and Jesus loves all of his creation. Um, N.T. Wright says of course every prayer all spirit led teaching every deed that spreads the gospel builds up the church embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption makes the name of Jesus honored in the world. All of this, somehow, N.T. Wright says, will through the resurrecting power of God find its way into the new creation God will one day make. And that's a profound mystery. Do you trust it? Do you believe it? Do you believe that because Jesus is risen from the dead, your labor is not in vain? Uh, What is the work of the Lord? I mean... It's the work of humble, self-giving love, and that means you can do it. It does not have to be great and impressive. It can be It can be like this size, and in the new creation, it will be an oak tree that you can't imagine. It's work that you can do um, no matter what valley of dry bones you're facing. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, and he's not stingy with the Holy Spirit do you remember what Jesus says? He says, if you want the spirit, like the same spirit that empowered Jesus to do all of his all of his ministry, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. He says, if you want that, what do you have to do? Like go on a quest? Slay a dragon? What do you have to do? Just ask for it. You just come to him needy. You say, "Fill me up." Jesus cares about you, family. Um, he cares about your kids. He cares about your marriages. He cares about the relationships in your life that just feel broken and, and fallen into disrepair. He cares, about, um, he cares about you being forgiven, and he cares about you extending forgiveness. He cares about your bodies cares about your bodies being healed. He says just you don't you don't have to like, I think sometimes I don't pray for physical healing because I don't want to be disappointed. I think Jesus says, hey, don't worry about that. Just pray for physical healing. I mean I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna raise the dead one day, but like this physical healing right here, right now can be a sign of God's in-breaking kingdom. A little foretaste, just a little glimpse of the new world to come. Pray for that. Um he cares about anxious people. He cares about you and your anxiety. Like, he wants you to find rest. He wants you to get a good night's sleep. Jesus, like, he just cares about everything that contributes to shalom. He cares about justice being done in our neighborhoods and in our cities. Jesus cares about that. He And Jesus, gosh, don't you know that, like, as much as we say we care about what's happening between Israel and Gaza right now, like, Jesus cares so much more than we do, um, I have hope for this situation because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Like, he desires wars cease to the ends of the earth. And so I think there's an invitation just to pray for all of these areas and to pray with great hope. Like, prayer is the language of hope. It's where we take all of these valleys of dry bones and we bring them before Jesus. And we say, oh, would you blow your spirit? Blow your spirit over this place and, and let the bones begin to rattle. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Believe the gospel. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit,